Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Good evening, gearheads. Welcome to your Sunday night with Speed City. This is John Massengill sitting in the studio in Austin, Texas with... Freezing. Yeah, with... With Frozen Jonathan Green and Les Kaiser. How are you, gentlemen? Freezing. Yeah, what the heck? We were 82 yesterday and 25 this morning? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it, was, it was all right. I was hoping the ski lifts would open. <laughs> I was like, it's so cold, I need to go out and buy a new car. So I did. A used one. <laughs> a new used. New to me. There you go. All right, Gearheads. And, and got... I love this guessing game you've started with me. <laughs> well, you finally saw it in the parking lot, so... Hey, guys and gals, we have a very, considering that it is completely off-season, I am extremely excited. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot. We have a lot to talk about because we, the biggest thing is we have some clips that are from from Michael Andretti and from Zach Brown. And these clips are from the EPAR trade um, webinar. Yeah, the webinar that they had. It's like the State of the Union for Motorsport for 2021. Yeah, it's like a four-day thing, and a lot of the industry, Racer, were uh, effectively running it, uh, um, uh, effectively. Yeah, uh, Racer.com. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, it really did talk to all the kings of industry uh, in amazing. America. And really great, because you, you didn't just get a quick t- 10 minutes with Zach Brown. You got an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that, that you can get, you know, deep down. Yeah, and Marshall Pruitt was the host, had some fantastic questions. Great job, Marshall Pruitt. And so we've got a bunch of clips from that, and we've got some other things we're going to talk about, some F1, some IndyCar stuff. we got some news about Circuit of the Americas. It's not breaking news, but it's something we're going to discuss about. Greatly uh, anticipated. Yeah, about <laughs> repaving. So we're going to talk about that in the show and uh we got is that the red carpet for the mayor (laughs) yeah that's what they're repaving yes they're repaving les's entrance okay good his special mayor is michael buffer doing it (laughs) (laughs) don't even say that can we give can we say his name without paying (laughs) (laughs) you can't even say his name i don't know what i mean i'm gonna claim the same thing i mean i'm gonna say out go like if anybody says that i i'm I'm gonna sue you you're going to get millions of dollars. And Crofty's in trouble. <laughs> hey, okay. we got some lots of good stories, though. I, mean, I don't know how much we're going to get to this week, because next week, my voice is breaking again. This week and next week. Well, you're week, still young. <laughs> it'll, it'll drop. And so we got lots to talk about. But I want to start with one of these clips, because it kind of sets up everything that, they, that we're going to talk about with both Michael Andretti and Zach Brown, these clips that we got. And the first one, this is, this is Zach Brown talking about the health of Formula One. And talking about everything from size of the crowds, this, he, he talks about Netflix, all of that. So let's hear from Zach Brown on this first one. Um, so I think the sport's never been healthier. If you look at the – and it's amazing and a lot of credit, uh, most of the credit to, to Liberty. So it wasn't long ago that you always had two or three teams going bust. Yeah. And then you could buy a team out of administration. Now you have 10 teams that are all very well uh, financed by very successful groups and or individuals, none of which want to sell. You know, Michael, who, you know, I'm very close to, that was a very real deal. Michael Andretti. And Michael Andretti and real money. 
and the seller ultimately ended up not wanting to sell. That same team was bought out of bankruptcy or on the verge of bankruptcy two, three years ago. So I think from a health of the grid, I've never seen in the 30 years I've been following Formula One in the kind of 15 I've been in the business of Formula One, I've never seen all 10 teams so strong, which mm. is awesome. And that's going to push up franchise value and, you know, success breeds success. Then you go to, to countries we, that want to host Grand Prix. We kind of have a problem now. We have more people that want to have Grand Prix than I think we can put on. I, I'd advocate, uh, which I've been vocal about, I'd like to maybe see us go to 20 races, but service 28 markets and maybe 15 or fixed races or 16, pick a number, and, um, you know, 10 rotate every other, uh, every other year. And so we've never had more demand for Grand Prix. I think we're going to get to the point where we're going to have to walk from some Grand Prix, not Grand Prix walking from us. Then you look at Austin, that audience was unbelievable. Brazil was a huge race. Um, you're having record attendance. Uh, Netflix has been spectacular for the sport. Um, corporate partnerships, we've been ringing the bell uh, often with, with great, great brands. Formula One, if you start looking around the track, they've got more brands. So sponsorship is very healthy. So when you have healthy teams, healthy Grand Prix, great TV ratings, great side programming, digital through the roof, great sponsors, great racing, I'm extremely bullish. And three, four years ago, I couldn't have said, I would have said, oh, there's a couple teams on the verge of going bust. We were in trouble, um, you know, having a hard time you know, getting these Grand Prix to be funded. You know, the racing's not that excited. And, and that's turned around 180 degrees. And I think we're just getting started. God, this is such good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, really good. And I, I in my, you want my opinion? I totally agree with that. Especially the part about um, the potential of two-year rolling Grand Prix. Um, I mean, we've always had more Grand Prix than we can put on. And... Unfortunately, more demand, yeah. Yeah, more demand. And because of COVID and all the rest of it, it's kind of led from what we used to have, which was a 16-round Grand Prix season, 15-round uh, for a long time. But it's now led to 23, which I really do think is too much. Um, and I would like to see almost – I mean, you could even get into a social media situation with this, which is you've got your what I would call core events – like your spas and your Monaco's, um, and and if you like, there becomes a rivalry between countries. So let's say the most popular race or the best race of the year is the Netherlands. Good, good race, just come in. Right. But it becomes both. You know, it gets two hundred thousand plus. That's one criteria. Um, it gets um, it puts on an amazing race, and the fans say that was our number one race then suddenly it gets into the top 10 and becomes one of the golden races, let's say. And then the other 10 vie. And it becomes almost a system whereby, you know, Malaysia comes back on the calendar and they go up and up and up. Um, and, and so there's an incentive for Miami to do better next year mm -hmm. and Austin to compete for, for, for the, you know, for the best Grand Prix. I mean, it really, really, I mean, there's always a best Grand Prix voted for, but why not make it part of, you know, the whole culture of Formula One? Mm. Where we go. I'm with you on that, but uh, let's put some meat behind it. So let's put some actual numbers. Attendance, yeah. TV viewership, yes. 
uh, maybe even some metrics around the race itself mm-hmm. uh, that went on, because I don't want it to just be a popularity and, and you know, the a big state get everybody to vote and that they had the best race or no. country. And so, uh, no, I'm with you on that. I like that. Yeah, and I think the other thing that Zach is alluding to, which is something that has been going on since Liberty started, is the new Concord Agreement, the new uh, salary cap, and the fact that Zach is absolutely right, including McLaren, all the teams are solid. They've signed up for five years, including Haas, who weren't 100% sure. So you're avoiding the Marussias and the, you know, the, the, the teams, that, the caterums that can't, yeah. you know, can't make it. And now suddenly you're in a situation where, frankly, I mean, Andretti, and he alluded to that. We're going to hear from Michael in a minute. Um, but, you know, Michael has set up the stall, which is that deal went south. But now an American can go, okay, this is a popular sport. I need 250 million to get involved from the get-go. And from there on in, I can bring blue chips in to either pay for that 250 or I could raise 500 through through finance. But I know what I'm getting into now. That's what I like about Formula One now. There is a, you know, 10 teams. Here are the points. Here's the money. It's a lot more of an open book in Liberty's Day, I think, than, than under Bernie. Whereas, you know, Bernie would try and support. Don't get me wrong. Bernie did a hell of a job of surviving and keeping people mm-hmm. like Williams involved. They two went through a terrible time. And he helped them get sponsors and he helped them get drivers. And he got paid drivers like Maldonado and a few others. Um, but I don't want to see Formula One continue to go down that road. I'd much prefer to see strong, robust uh, franchises, which yeah. is what we have in the NFL. So it's an American model. Yeah, and external influences like Doralton Capital Correct. that bought Williams. I mean, those guys are there to make money. And so when you see that happening, you know that something's going in the right well, direction. And, and there's a good example, right? I don't know much about, this is my father's world, but I don't know much about uh, ROI or return on uh, you investment. Know, investment. Yeah. But the bottom line is now, as an investor, as a financial investor in a business, and it just happens to be a dynamic and fun, fun one, um, but with lots of hospitality and going around the world. But the bottom line is, if you have a guarantee of finishing ninth and you know what you're going to get for finishing ninth, you can weigh that up against a five-year program and say, okay, well, let's say we get to the top five. That's our goal. Then we'll be earning way more than our investment. So the ROI is there to be seen, and it's physical, and it, and, and it's almost it's tangible. Yeah. It's tangible, and it's not sort of well if we sell a bunch of widgets no you're you're part of a franchise you're part of a a sport that is clearly growing um and going into new places yep. so I, I do i do think that the financial guys can see now a reason to be involved in formula 1 that wasn't there before all right well i want to before we go to break i want to play this one clip from michael andretti because i want to have a little balance between the two of these today so this clip from Michael uh, is talking about uh, is is really asking the question: Why does he want to try F one? So there's Michael Andretti. I think he just said it. it's the biggest racing series in the world, right? <clears throat> and I think it uh, it could just do wonders for our brand, you know, uh, uh, internationally. Obviously, we are international with Formula E and Extreme, but uh, you know, to do Formula One is is the ultimate, and and so I've always had interest in that, and and. Uh, you know, it was really, really disappointing that that deal didn't come together. We were literally probably 48 hours away from getting the deal done at, at that time that we thought. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still very much would like to do it. You know, opportunities are are becoming less and less. No teams are really for sale right now. So, um, you know, we have to, you know, see what happens in the future. But there's still interest. Um, you know, I 
love Formula One. It's the ultimate, you know, racing experience. And uh, and like I said, for our brand, it would be just huge. You know, it just takes takes us to the the highest level you can be in. Mm, yep. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah. He, wants, he wants to be at the pinnacle. Well, and it makes sense. Uh, both he and Penske have really got their tentacles out in the last five years, uh, racing in Australia, racing, as he says, in Formula Extreme and, and Formula E. Um, you know, it, it's much more than an IndyCar team now. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it really oh, is a yeah, brand. Yeah. It's a, and, it's a full on motorsports, yeah. in, uh, you know, powerhouse. Yeah. You know? And if you go to the Formula E, pit you know it looks every bit as andretti as the indie yeah. pit so you know the brand is there and yeah i really do think that michael I, and, and you, you you could see how the it was all aligning with mario's background with ferrari and 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 you know what he did uh back in the day it's sort of you know or with formula one as a, a status sort of thing you just think okay and the italian heritage you could see alfa romeo would have been a fantastic fit but they got screwed they got screwed yeah. basically well, I had, somebody asked me about how many teams can be on there. Okay, so Andretti couldn't get that. There's no teams for sale, as you just said. So I checked into it. FIA allows 12 teams there you on go. the Formula 1 grid. Well, there you, you just made an interesting point, because I think that's what I think could be happening. When people look at what's going on with the growth, you've, you've got it in the, in the running order, the growth of ESPN's coverage, the growth in America. There's potentially going to be three races in America. If you are an American investor now, why not approach Michael and say, okay, I'll back you in a brand new Andretti Autosport team. Become the 11th team. You heard it first. <laughs> Boom. All right. Well, on that note, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to take some questions from social media, and we got some more clips, and we do have lots more stories. Listen to Speed City Live from Austin, Texas. Back after a quick break. When you leave the Circuit of the Americas today, you need to go check out our friends at Iron Wolf Ranch and Distillery, just 40 minutes west of Weird in the beautiful Spicewood, Texas. They produce a wide variety of unique, award-winning spirits, including bourbon, whiskeys, gin, vodka, and rums. They're kid and dog-friendly with yard games and Crego's Pizza and Wings on site every weekend. Enjoy a full bar, tasting room, bottle purchases, and live music when you visit the ranch. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram, and always ask for Iron Wolf at your favorite bars and liquor stores across Texas. Iron Wolf Ranch and Distillery, Old Spirits, Texas Attitude. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride. Or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at thecaddyaustin.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Hi, this is Mario Andretti, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right. Uh, what do you got, Jonathan? Did you get Mario's uh, Christmas card? Uh, the one on Twitter? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> See, I'm trying to make it veil as though he'd written me a, a, a Christmas card. No, the one on Twitter. I thought it was awesome. With that huge Christmas tree and all the trophies behind him. Well, he does that every year, dude. I know. Mm -hmm. and, he, and the best thing about oh, that. Oh, it's the first time I made the list. Okay. Well, the, the best thing is is that everybody replies with their photo of their Christmas tree. And, and he comments on every single one. Do you think he really is Santa Claus? <laughs> 
He's Santa Claus and James Bond rolled into one. <laughs> it all rolled into one. I actually did it this year. I posted a p- picture of my Christmas tree, and it was uh, several days later than when he posted. I thought, ah, he'll never see it. About 12 hours later, there he is posting. I'm on, nice tree, John. And he was saying. That's a great. And what's crazy, he looked at my profile and says, oh, I'm a dad of kids and all this. He looked at my profile and responded to me as if he, you know, I could, can't believe it. You and Mario next <laughs> year, Thanksgiving. Well, all you have to do is reply to Mario on his, his Christmas post and he'll Bless talk him. to you. There you go. Okay, boys. Um, I want to take some questions from social media. And we got some people asking questions on YouTube. And uh, Paul Bryan. The answer is 43. <laughs> 42. Ah. 42 is the answer to No, yellow. <laughs> um, Paul Bryan tweeted at us uh, yesterday, I think earlier today, and was saying um, he had a question too. He's but a let's, colorful fellow. He is a colorful fellow. Let's, let's address sure? the one from Drew on, um, on YouTube because Drew said, we need Zach's comments on Danny Rick's driving the uh, Earnhardt NASCAR at Coda. Unless you went out there <laughs> and talked to Zach Brown right after Danny got out of the car, didn't you? Absolutely. You know, that was fun. Uh, for one, it was just fun seeing a vintage NASCAR on Coda <laughs> yeah. and, and getting put through its paces. A couple of donuts out there pulled off, but I uh, had the moment to speak to Zach Brown as Danny Rick came in and they were pushing the car back behind the fence. And I asked Zach and I said, this probably wasn't a wager you minded paying up, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's good. And so, uh, yeah, really, uh, I'd love... Zach's personality to do things like that with the drivers. And, you know, Danny Rick is always there challenging. Yeah. You know, I, Zach came in the booth uh, in Monterey when we did the historics, the velocity. He's actually uh, on the board of the Velocity Invitational, which he was races there himself. Yeah, he's got, he raced three cars there and brought Pato Award, who uh, m- amazingly straight off the bat blew up one of Parnelli Jones's <laughs> glorious, <laughs> glorious Mustangs. Not not used to changing gears without paddles. Anyway, enough said about Pat. I love him. Uh, he came in too. He was awesome. But um, you're you're alluding to you know something that that Zach is very much a part of culturally changing for in Formula One, and that is crossing over between American motorsport and Formula One and really galvanizing it. Ricardo's always been there. He's loved NASCAR. Great tribute, as you saw driving the car, but then Pado gets a, a drive in Abu Dhabi, and I read a headline today saying uh, that won't be the last time you see Pado in a McLaren F1. That is yeah. So he's going to do some practice days. He's going to do some practice days for McLaren. So McLaren are leading the way, and you could see if Andretti got into, into Formula 1, how, again, that crossover between American Motorsport and then the Indy 500 with Alonso, you know, people doing things that aren't, you know, and that's what's li- that's what's what liberty has been allowed to to open up um and this sort of fake you know war of monaco and the 500 being held on the same day was was really kind of irrelevant it should never have happened yeah. and i you know contrived maybe yeah, yeah. It, it contrived yeah and i think there's so Filling much in all the 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 high 50 dollar words for that you thank need you so know. much <laughs> um i'll tint and ovulate next time i uh, call you Can that, you go that is Latin for ringing a bell <laughs> Hey, guess what? We have the producer, or less, one of y'all has dug up the actual interview from Coda. Drew, ask on YouTube. Drew, you ask, we shall deliver. Ask and we shall deliver. Let's hear from Zach Brown. Okay. Zach, I have a feeling this was a bet you didn't mind losing. No, this was fun to see this get out. 
That's great. Has he made any comments? We had James Courtney run a NASCAR. And yeah, he, said it was he loved like it. wrestling a bear. Yeah, he loved it. He loved it. Thought it handled a lot better than he was anticipating. Excellent. And it's uh, you got to manhandle it, but it was it was fun watching it go around. Absolutely. There you go. There you go. Good bro. job. Yep. Uh, all right. So we're going to say we're going to answer a few more questions later in the show. Let's go to another clip here. I think I want to go to um, this one is again Zach Brown. He we ask him. They actually Marshall Pruitt asked him essentially what will F one look like in twenty twenty two. So uh, producer, you got that one ready? So yep. Let's hear that. Uh, well, I think the competition is going to be. Uh, closer. I think anytime you have a regulation change, there's going to be someone who gets it right that you maybe weren't expecting to and someone that gets it wrong that you weren't expecting to. I think the racing will be uh, very competitive. It should be closer the way they've designed the, the cars. Uh, they'll probably be a couple seconds slower, but if I didn't say that and you weren't looking at a stopwatch, you you would you wouldn't know. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I would have liked to seen the regulations opened up. I think now that you have a cost cap, I, I, I don't think we needed to be as prescriptive with the new technical regulations. If everything's capped, kind of do what you want. You want six wheels, have six wheels. You want a big engine cover, different wings, you know, so everything kind of has to fit into a, a, a square box now. I, I think because form of the one in particular is about, um, you know, design and creativity and ingenuity. Why then, if you've got kind of a financial govern on the sport, then kind of let them loose and let people try different things. So that's the one thing I'd like to see us do maybe differently the next time around on, on regulations is, is open up the regulations because you, you're going to be governed by how much money you can spend anyways. You know, what I strikes me, I want to talk about that because I could see you, your gears turning. Mm. But really, I, before this, we've interviewed Zach before in small snippets, and I've seen him on on television a little bit, but he doesn't. And in fact, this is one of the things he talks about. He's not a TV hog like Christian Horner and Total Wolf, let's be blunt. And he even says that in these <laughs> interviews. But... I think he's more substantive. He's, there's more to him than I realize. You know, he's very affable and, you know, easygoing. But I think there's more to that behind the curtain. I mean, I, I, I re he really strikes me as as somebody that's got a lot. You well, know. Uh, and, and the, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you've got, yeah. a, you've got a quote of how he did it, which was the one that intrigued me. We'll play that either today or next week. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, let's face it. He, he has had one of the best stories in the last five years of turning around one of the greatest teams in Formula One. And Andy, Andy P is putting his hand up, I know, wherever he is right now going, <laughs> agreeing with me because, um, I mean, I, I interviewed uh, both Zach and uh, Gilles de Farin at uh, Silverstone. And we sat down and I knew it was going to be uncomfortable because at the time they were really the only, you know, other, you know, the only Americans. And they were, you know, they were, it was awful, i.e. where they were. They were ninth oh. in the, in the, they'd got hardly any points. Hadn't had a win in how long? Gosh knows. Uh, and they were, they were really hurting. Uh, and, you know, they put a bold face on it. But, you know, the questions were, you know, how are you going to do this? How are you going to turn? Well, I brought Gilles in. I brought this in. We're going to yeah. do that. We're getting, you know, we're, we're streamlining it. I'm talking to everybody. And, and we've got that. He's so done let's, it. Let's, let's, uh, let's go ahead and play that one. Producer, that's the one I've got, had queued up. It's, uh, 
the path from ninth to winning races. From, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the name of that clip. So let's hear from Zach Brown one more time. Yeah, it was, um, it was brutal when I, I started. Um, I definitely, you know, we were improving, not a lot, but as a team, I wasn't expecting, nor was anybody expecting us to go backwards the, uh, you know, first year I, I joined. Um, and, you know, it was shocking that a team that's been uh, so dominant and a legendary team um, had fallen as hard as it had fallen. I think being such a big team, um, your fans understandably get pretty angry because your expectations are, are, are up here. So it's kind of like any major sport when the big team doesn't do well, they get more boos than the small team that doesn't do well because that's kind of maybe what you expect. So sure. uh, that came in, I, you know, I look at, you know, how did we get there? Um, and I think you can start to trace it back to early last decade where you're building a road car company. You have a lot of infighting that's been well documented, you know, Ron in, Ron out, Whitmarsh in, Whitmarsh out, Ron in, Capito in. But, you know, it's just any racing team or, or even just business, if you have a bit of a revolving door to, a door and problems at the board level, that trickles down throughout throughout the organization. And that that's what had happened was it didn't have, you know, singularly, you know, adult supervision, too much stuff going on. Blend that with the, you know, engine program was not competitive when it got started. It's a great engine now. Uh, understandable um, that it takes time for these things to develop have that combine that with clearly we didn't have our act together you put the two of them together you can see how you, you slide the ninth in the championship and um so when i i started um of my six leadership team one um was here then uh my cfo laura but i'd actually promoted her and i didn't come in going right i'm gonna clean house i, I kind of came in going because it was quite intimidating coming into mclaren there's kind of 900 of them and one of me and uh i'd never run a racing team before and so i, I gave everyone a, a a chance so i didn't kind of come in thinking i'm going to change this it was let me understand and it became apparent to me pretty quickly that changes needed to be be made and so started going and doing that you know pretty pretty aggressively. I didn't change a lot of people, just changed the right people, tried to change the culture. I kind of use this Star Wars uh, analogy, not necessarily a big Star Wars guy, but kind of makes sense that, you, you know, you look at our facility and our team, we got kind of that Star Wars feel to us, but we became Darth Vader and I wanted us to become Luke Skywalker. So I went from, you know, changing the colors from a dark and gray, team to you know bring back the papaya to you know look don't touch to actually hey come play with us and, and try to get the uh, culture to, to open up uh i did a lot of what we called ask zach sessions where i sat down for a breakfast with 20 people at a time throughout the entire organization to just talk to me so i tried to get as much 
information as possible and there was a breakdown in trust clearly there was an enormous amount of competence there of a 900 people 700 of them have won championships in in races so it was about just providing uh direction and uh so what about doing that and you know started uh, once you kind of turned the boat and um got us really focused again now it feels like it's gone pretty quick but the first couple of years were really painful but i always had total shareholder support they're racers they understood the business so i never felt um like i didn't have the runway or the resources or the ability to do what i felt i needed to do to get us back on track look that i can all right gentlemen um i want to talk to now I, I that's incredible stuff man i want to talk about that let's get a quick break in and we'll come back and talk about that speed city from austin texas back after a quick break Motivation USA, catering to the sport bike enthusiast looking for truly unique parts and accessories. Stand out from the crowd. Motivation is the exclusive North American distributor for SC Project MotoGP inspired exhausts and the largest Rizoma retailer in the United States. Get the best parts from around the world at the best prices with fast shipping and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Shop online 24-7 at MotivationUSA.com. That's MotivationUSA.com. If you want to know where the path to Formula One and Indy begins, it's three simple letters, VRD. VRD Racing of Atlanta, Georgia are dedicated to nurturing young, single-seater drivers on their quest to the pinnacle of motorsport. Having just wrapped up the team's championship title in 2021 in the F4 US Championship, they also have programs in FR Americas, the all-new USF Juniors, and the road to Indy. VRD is the perfect environment for success. To join the team, drop them a DM on Instagram at Velocity underscore RD. Talk 1370. Hi, this is Gene Haas, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Jonathan, you wanted to react to what Zach said in that last segment? Yeah, I mean, um, he. I think that's the most honest I've heard anybody talk of the McLaren turnaround and, frankly, the culture that led, that, that basically started with Ron Dennis. And I don't mean it uh, rudely to Ron Dennis because he was fantastic. It came from a mechanic all the way to running uh, a multi-million dollar company and making a lot of money himself, introducing the car industry to it too, which was a big chunk at the time, but have now stabilized. Uh, as he says, they were in financial difficulty. That compounded by the Honda woes at the beginning of their mm -hmm. relationship, right. which of course, you know, killed them. Uh, having Alonso and, you know, disgruntled and so on and so forth. So they were spiraling. And the point is, as he quite rightly, the most interesting part of that was saying, when you have a problem at the top like that, and you have changes of people coming in, Ron Dennis, then Whitmarsh and so on, then back, you know, it, you know, people pulling you from left and right, that trickles down and people, you know, at the lowest level even, start to take sides on, well, I like Ron Dennis and I like, you know, and I think his job was, was to tiptoe in there He'd never been a team manager, which again is no mean feat. Yeah. He started off in in publishing and uh, you know in sales and, and sponsorship. I mean, his company is very successful, mm -hmm. but running 700, 800 people in a foreign country, um, yeah. however much in you, a pressure cooker oh, environment, yeah. yeah. 
Um, hats off to to Zach yeah. Brown. Uh, he pulled it, a, he is pulling it off. And as a American, American over there well, in I that think, UK to be honest, sport. It, you know what? Honestly, uh, and I can say this hand on heart. McLaren, as being an Englishman, needed a, 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 a swashbuckling American who knew his motorsport to come in there and go, no, enough is enough. This is what we're going to do. You're out. You're in. Let's do this. I mean, you have to. At that point, when you're literally spiraling the, the drain, you got to have that kind of major decision making. You yep. have to. You have to go... I'm going to do this, and I'll go down with the ship if I'm wrong, but we're going to do something because what we're doing is not working. And right. frankly, you know, I hate to say it, but William's story is the same. Um, the, the, the first thing that Dalton Capital did was effectively say, Frank, Claire, we're now running the show, and it's going to be for Williams Formula One, but you're not going to run it. And, and I think they both understood that in order to keep their name as Williams F1, which is a wonderful, wonderful uh, franchise, Brabham have gone, uh, Lotus have right. gone, you know, these Nothing names will never come and, back yeah, necessarily. Yep. So Williams have pulled it off, but they pulled it off by stepping back uh, and the Americans took over. So we're seeing this sort of gradual influence, not just of Americans, but of good um, principles who are willing to turn the ship around. Mm. All right. I want to go to uh, this. Uh, somebody commented on Twitter. It was Paul Bryan. I'm going to read his tweet because it's funny, too. He says, uh, rumors persist that a, that, uh, a new FIA boss, Mohammed bin Salim, Salam. <laughs> may assess F1 driver and fashion mogul Lewis Hamilton 10 to 12 grid spots at, in the, at the start of the 2022 season for missing the awards gala. And I, I remember that when that happened, it, there was he discussion. will be he will be fine. I'm sorry, I started laughing when you said fashion mogul. <laughs> fashion, anyway. fashion mogul, yeah. He does have his own fashion. He does. Brand. He does. So do I. But uh. <laughs> no, you don't have your actual own brand. You just have oh. your own style. No, you just you just my get mother new, puts my no, name in the tag. Getting that a count? new hey, set of cowboy look, boots. Getting, is not. Get, hey, getting socks for Christmas is not a fashion brand, Les. <laughs> Okay, you win. Uh, <laughs> now, to the serious side of this, the comments that were um, that were brought up about that is that the FIA president, Mohammed Salim, said, um, he said that we will look into this. And so we're going to look into the side where the technical rules are there. Was he in breach? I'll have to look into it. And he said something like, I've got some time because the season's at, the, at a close. <laughs> but that will be interesting to start the season off. Of course, if that's if you assume, if you don't believe the rumor that Lewis Hamilton is going to retire now after not winning the championship. I, I don't believe that. I think he's going to come back for number eight. And I think I, as much as I felt like it was petty for Toto and Lewis not to show up at the big gala, I think it's it wasn't a danger or a safety issue. It was just petulant, childish behavior for those two not to show up. And yeah. so if it was a safety situation, I could see addressing things after the season. It's not in competition. It's not any of that. It's just. So what do you do? Money? Fine. Money. Yeah. Can I go back to Paul Bryan? Is it Paul Bryan? Yeah. I love it. I love, I love, I love his humor. I've been reading his tweets, but I know he's going to be just as amused as I am. As we've been talking about the great change of Formula One, the more things change, the more they say the same. Because guess who is the assistant to the new Mister Mohammed Ben Suleiman? Who's that? Messi. Oh. Bernie, Bernie Eccleston's wife. 
I was going to jokingly say Bernie. I'm no, worried. well, listen. The 91-year-old's 44. Good on you, Bernie. Brazilian wife uh, is going to be working for the FIA for Ben Suleiman. And Bernie was quoted as saying, it's true, he told Germany Sport One. My wife is on his team. And as a good husband, I will be at her and her friend's side with help and advice. <laughs> Bernie, you can't keep a good man down. You can't keep him out of the sport. Oh. <laughs> I love the fact that somehow he's got a tentacle in there dangling it well. Oh, that is hilarious. There you go. Oh, gee. Right about that, Mr. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let's go. I want to play a clip Um from Michael Andretti about Alexander Rossi. Ooh, yes, I like this one. Uh, yeah, because he, I don't think this is a long clip or anything, but yeah. <laughs> Have you got any cat sounds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, producer, thumbs up on that one. Are you ready for that? Thank you. <laughs> he had the cat sound. <laughs> yeah, forget that. That's actually not Michael Andretti, although it's a very good impersonation. <laughs> All right, let's hear from Michael oh. Andretti. Yeah, I don't think he's ready. He was ready to commit. Um, yet. So, you know, I think he, I think we're both looking at, you know, how's this year going to go? Um, yeah. You know, uh, we have to do a better job on our side for him and, you know, and he thinks he's got to, there's things that he's got to do as well on his side. So um, it'll be an interesting year to see how it goes. I'm hoping that he, you know, can turn his luck around and, and uh, you know, you know, perform like he did the first few years with us. And, you know, if we can get to that point and, It'll be interesting to see if he'll still be driving for us or if somebody else is going to go after him. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. It's very interesting, and that's yeah. why I wanted the cat sound, because it's getting a little catty between the two of them. It seems a long... <laughs> there you go. It seems a long time since he won that Indy 500, rather dramatically for Mr. Michael Andretti. Uh, he had a terrible season uh, by his own standards. He was that far from winning it two years ago uh, in a three-way battle with Joseph and Scott Dixon. This year, he was nowhere. Mm. And the 27 has been licking his wounds since, and I think there is definitely problems between uh, you're not delivering Michael for me and it goes both ways. You're my driver. I've got two other drivers. Colton Herter seems to be delivering. Why aren't you? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, I hope it does turn around because Rossi, I think, would be a different driver had he won that title two years ago. Uh, and this is a big year for both him and Andretti. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. And, and, and throw in Grosjean. Uh, well, and <laughs> I think that puts massive pressure because I think Grosjean is going to be a huge success. He's very affable. He's very motivated. He's moving to Florida, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And again, Michael was speaking about him. They haven't had a lot of time together, but what a what a golden move for um, Roman Grosjean in his early days. Let's face it, he's only just appeared in um, IndyCar, and already he's in the the top team, if not the second top team. Yeah, we got a we had a quick clip of Michael and uh, Andretti talking about Roman Grosjean. Let's play that. Not a whole lot yet. You know, I think he's in a transition of, you know, moving his family and things like that uh, over here. I think he's going to move to Florida, which is cool. And, and uh, you know, I think there hasn't been a whole lot of things going on within that side of it with the drivers at this point. Uh, I think it's going to really heat up after the new year. That's when it really gets uh, hot and heavy. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's when it's gonna we're going to start to feel a lot more of that and, and get the influence of Roman and his experience. Interesting.
Yeah. And by the way, if you didn't hear at the top of the show, all these clips are from the EPAR trade. We'll put out this uh, the link to this. It's all on YouTube. Yeah, and they're all in full. Yeah, and I, great interviews. And I'm hoping that people find. We'll, we'll put out the links because mm. there's no views on these things. They're yeah, like, go to racer.com and look it up. Yeah, because on YouTube there's like a hundred, two hundred views on mm. these, and this is some of the best motorsport content yeah. out there. Very, very and, good. And I, that's why we had to slice this up and play some of it because it's awesome. Rumor has it we had a caller. We do have a caller. We have a caller from Missouri, no less. Oh, I recognize this caller. We got Corvette Mike. Hey! Hey, buddy. How's it going? We got we got about a Happy minute before we got to go to the break. Mike, how's it going, buddy? Corvette. It's good. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, since we're rushed and pushed for time, I'd really like to address one in the last Formula One race that uh, was of the season. Uh, Is it my understanding? Well, yeah, that- it was quite normal race, Mike. What are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> It's my understanding. I'm trying to talk about the part where Lewis went off the track on the right, and uh, he held his line, Max did, and made it with no uh, error as covering the white line. Yet, uh, had that been a guardrail, would Lewis have had to gotten out of it? I just want to know what the real truth is. Who should have yielded? Because you have to in racing, right? Uh, Well, to be honest, Mike, it's a great point, to be honest, because the bottom line is every time it happened, and it happened throughout the season, it was Hamilton except for Silverstone, where Verstappen ended up in hospital. Hmm. Uh, It was Hamilton that had to yield because most of the time he had to get out of the way because he was chasing Verstappen in the championship. And if they both crashed, which Verstappen clearly was was happy to do if that was the if that was the case um and so hamilton had to take avoiding action now in the case that you're talking about at turn 4 in saudi arabia uh, yeah saudi arabia um effectively hamilton did go wide and actually crossed over um the outside of the track and returned onto the track still ahead of verstappen and the communication came back that he needed to equalize the gap that he'd had before on Verstappen. And as far as Mercedes were concerned, he did that. Mm, yeah. But that's so, you know, we could, we could spend a Mike, we could spend, I could buy four Corvettes by the time I've told you <laughs> the whole story on that. But that is bottom line for that particular incident. But there were so many more. All right, Mike, thanks for calling, buddy. I'm sorry we got to run to a break. Appreciate it. Appreciate you listening. But uh, we're, we're going to do a 120-second break, and we're going to be back. And the first clip we're going to play is is from Michael Andretti about what happened specifically on the F1 attempt. Listen to Speed City back after these messages. Hey guys, we are very excited to welcome our new sponsor, Allstop Brewery, to Speed City. These guys make a fantastic beer, and I'm going to let Jonathan talk about it, but I'm going to tell you about it when I tasted it, I am not a big beer aficionado. I like a nice cold beer, but I'm always worried about a craft beer or a new beer that it's going to have a funky taste, especially aftertaste. This beer was fantastic. I have absolutely no uh, no qualms at all that this is my new favorite beer. But, Jonathan, you know why, what makes it so special, the water and the recipe? Well, yeah. I mean, these guys have done their research and do it right, and they've even imported the right water to do it right. I mean, it, it, I tell you, this Alstad beer, fantastic. And I'm, uh, you know, most Europeans are snobs about their beer, 
uh, and I, I'm, I'm definitely one of those. Because, You're definitely a snob? Yes, okay. about my beer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because there's no question, carbonation has always been my issue here in the States. It's overcarbonated, and our lagers, our pilsners and lagers in Europe... Um, uh, especially German ones, are not that heavily carbonated, and that's a, a key thing. And that's the first thing that uh, hit me was just how well they've done the beer. Uh, it's based out of Fredericksburg. It's, uh, it's got a great tie-in because, obviously, Fredericksburg, a German town, and now they've got a Texas German beer, and it's cracking. Yeah, and the uh, the facility out there, it's amazing. They've They've really done it right. It's really fantastic, so... So check it out. You can get it at all the local HEBs and everything else, right? Yep. Uh, it's around all around Texas. You can get it. Uh, they sell it in, uh, uh, on, on the shelf there as a Texas beer. But uh, I'll tell you what, you're in, right back in Germany when you drink it. And it's Altstadt Beer, A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T, beer.com. Altstadt Beer, A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T, beer.com. Talk 13.7, the right choice. Hi, this is Bob Varsha, commentator for sports cars, Barrett-Jackson, collector car auctions, and more. You're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Some people have asked, where is Bob Varsha? And he joins us Where's only. Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo? He joins us only. We can't afford Bob year-round, so he only joins us during our F1 broadcast, where we do the pre- and post-race well, shows. Plus, he's a man of, man of many... Yeah, he's, exactly. he's out there doing, he's around the world. That's right. And uh, he's, in fact, speaking of, uh, what is it, the, what's the series he does? Um, the Ultra. Uh, the Enduro, Electric Off-Road. Uh, Off-Road Enduro or whatever. Uh, yeah, no, there's a name for it. I'm, Extreme. 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 Thank you. Thank you. On Fox. Uh, Andretti has a team in that too. Yeah. Yes, he does. Uh, but anyway, I said we would play this clip because this is, this clip is, is uh, what happened to the F1 attempt in the words of the man himself. But you want to set it up a well, little? No, I was going to say, do you want to, because some people might be living under a rock. Well, um, yeah, good He point. was 48. When we went to the U.S. Grand Prix, rumors had started already that week that uh, Sauber was going to be sold, and it was going to be, sorry, that um, Alfa Romeo, formerly Sauber, so, yeah. was going to be sold uh, to Mar- uh, to Michael Andretti. And the and deal strong was, and, and we actually thought that Michael was going to announce it. And I think that was the plan because he says in this interview that it was 48 hours away from from happening. So the, the, just the sheer idea of a name like Andretti going back into Formula One was huge. So we were all on tenterhooks. It didn't happen. Yeah. So let's hear from Michael Andretti on that. I don't believe the rumors or what you were hearing about, you know, why it didn't happen had nothing to do with financials or anything like that. It was more uh, having to do with control issues. And unfortunately, at the 11th hour, um, you know, control issues changed. And, uh, you know, it was a deal that we had to step away from because we couldn't accept it. And I always said that we're only going to do it if it's if it's right for us. And, and in the end, it wasn't right for us. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The, the the bit he's talking about, which was, it's basically the controlling interest. And the other side of this story, as you know, Alfa Romeo have a relationship, obviously, with Ferrari. Uh, they supply them the engines and their, drive, their junior driver, Antonio uh, Giovinazzi, has now left the team. He's still a reserve driver for Ferrari. He will also share that uh, drive with um, Mick Schumacher next year. That's another big story. Yeah, yeah. But the real story that is not being as public is that Frederick Vasseur 
um, basically overruled the then president of Alfa Romeo, Pascal Picci, who quit from Sauber Motorsports owner um, from from the team um, over this when he was expecting uh, to effectively you know, consolidate the relationship with Ferrari by keeping Giovinazzi or at least not bringing in Botas and Guan Yu Zhao, who'd brought the money. And Vassa uh, sort of hit out. And so basically those two fell out. Peachy has now quit. Mm. So that is another part of it. And in the middle of all of this, Michael comes in, wants to buy the team, has the money to do so, but then won't, they won't get the controlling interest. And also part of that deal would have seen Gainbridge bring Colton Herter as one of the drivers. So that's where the whole thing with how long it took for the Botas, Guang Yuzhou deal. And I remember thinking at the time, if Colton Herter does pull this off and Gamebridge brings the money, then he's going to be alongside one of the best drivers in the world in Botas in the perfect mm-hmm. time to learn his way in Formula yeah. One. It all fell apart. It's a real shame. Yeah. We'll talk about what you said in this, about Mick Schumacher in this. This is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. This so is, This news was right before Christmas. Yeah. Basically, uh, Mick Schumacher will drive for Haas Formula One next year, but he will also be an official reserve driver for Ferrari um, because they see him as a Ferrari driver. He drove for Prima, uh, won the championship in F2 for them. Um, and they consider him, with obviously Mac, uh, Michael's legacy with Ferrari, uh, as being the next Ferrari driver. But you've got to ask the question. Ferrari have got two relatively young drivers. Yeah. Uh, in Carlos Sainz, well, who they really, just purchased. really, good young drivers. Really good. And Charles Leclerc. So where does Mick fit into that? Maybe it all goes full circle. Mick does Haas and does these Friday drives, along with Giovinazzi, because he's also going to be doing some Friday drives. But maybe... If Leclerc and Science work out, because I believe that Science is negotiating as we speak, another two-year contract. Leclerc is the golden boy, as we know, and is young. Um, so there's no room for a third Ferrari driver unless he gets either Haas into the midfield. If Haas wins the midfield battle between Alfa Romeo, then Mick Schumacher could either drive for Alfa Romeo or Haas, depending on which is the better team. Can you drop a flowchart for all this? Yes. Okay, Absolutely. Good. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Who's got the cheese? <laughs> hey, uh, at the top Which of the show, first? Uh, top of the show, I teased a story about here in Austin about Coda being uh, potentially repaved. Jonathan, you threw that story. You saw it on. Uh, yeah. We haven't even t- contacted Bobby about this. We should, but we. Yeah. And no, we, we will. will. We will. Yeah. Well, and this is a story that's actually come out of Bike Sport News, and so it can be effectively verified. When G- MotoGP came here, obviously Christina Bullpit. Chris, mm. Yes, exactly. The new new editor of my uh, Bike Sport News, our good friend Christina Bullpit. So I know it's a good story, uh, but it it um, it quotes uh, effectively Uncini the. Uh, the technical director of MotoGP about uh, okay. the complaints that were made because as soon as MotoGP left, they said a lot of the riders were quite vociferous in the Italian press, especially and the Spanish press, saying we're not coming back unless they resurface the track, which is fine. That's their <laughs> it's their will to say it, but that did lead to MotoGP to say to Coda, uh, hey. You know, what are you doing? And sure, I don't think Bobby, Bobby's in any way going to suddenly rip up the whole circuit and start again. Of course not. But there were two big holes or big bumps, one at two and one at 10. And the belief is, and that was the quote that MotoGP believe, that if those are uh, effectively, you know, sorted by next April, then 
you know, they'll be back, but they're on the calendar to be back in April, but they've only got a short window right. uh, of, I believe, you, you know more about this, in February, right? They're not booked in February, so that's when they can get the work done. Right. There's a, a series of private track days and manufacturer days here. Uh, a lot of folks don't realize, and I actually was explaining this the other day, is that uh, I believe one of the guys told me that they had nearly 40 weeks of track usage wow. last year. Mm. And, uh, but honestly, most of it is not for public spectators. Yeah, 40, 40 weeks of non-motorsport, non, you know, non-public type events. Non-spectator. Yeah. Man, that's, that's awesome because that was the problem early days with Coda. It's like, hey, we need to turn this into a 365 day of revenue instead of handful. I've, yes, got, I've got the quote. According to Bike Sport News, FIM Grand Prix Safety Director Franco Ancini uh, confirmed that Coda management cannot commit to a full repave of the circuit. Instead, it will work only on turn two uh, and the complex at turn 10, where most of the problems aside. We agree to make this section with the riders, said we agree to make this section with the riders. He's uh, Italian, so that, that's kind of his way of talking. <laughs> we agree with the riders. We, uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> said Ancini. Uh, and it's a real minimum uh, we want to solve. We would like to have uh, only one asphalt complete, but that cannot be done. They say that no time, probably all money, but I don't know. Anyway, they cannot do a complete resurface. The minimum is for turn two and turn ten, and not only in the last uh, last layer of asphalt, but to go under and solve the problem of the bumps. And so what he means is they're going to dig under because let's face it i mean they're gonna leave the top and go from underneath i know bobby hates what i talk about the clay the clay surface there but you only need to go on the outer roads it's about you've been to elroy it's bumpy out there yeah yeah when they when i first went out there before it was ever Mm -hmm. built i was like i can't go more than about 10 miles an hour on these roads you know what it is don't you What's that? It's Samsung and Elon digging and making buildings <laughs> yeah. and shaking the ground. It's, and... it's Elon's boring company going underneath. <laughs> Don't worry. It'll all settle down soon. And plus, it's going to be the center of the planet soon. Hey, I got a, <laughs> I got a couple of stories I want to get in here before we got a couple of minutes left. Um, Google, Google Trends search data shows the biggest interest in F1 since they started keeping records. Uh, I don't know if the producer can bring that chart up while, we're, while I'm talking about this, but... It's a link in the show doc. But um, anyway, it's just stunning. The same kind of thing we've already been hearing. And also, um, I got some of this info from the uh, Sport Business. Let's see, what's that website called? Uh, Sports Business Journal. Mm -hmm. And talking about how the ESPN F1 platform saw a 281% in uh, growth and engagement for 2021. That's insane. I mean, all it's, you know, we're getting all these bits and pieces. And all of it come put together is just that F1 in the United States is. Yeah, and I think our good friend Lee Diffie would even uh, bow to the fact that uh, despite the brilliant shows that NBC did and the coverage they did, we're now starting to hit those numbers on ESPN above what NBC were able to pull off. Uh, you know, we had we had uh, 1.2 million, I think, was one of the highest, but we had pretty much throughout the season, especially as the championship hotted up, over a million viewers uh, in here in America. Yeah. Imagine what it would be if the uh, the TV announcers sounded like Americans. <laughs> well, they can do sometimes. <laughs> One last little bit on this is that that same I'm website, offended. Sports Business Journal, <laughs> they, offended. they had they had some of their uh, they did their year end awards, and this was the easiest award I gar- award I guarantee you because it was the best content, and it was Drive to Survive on oh, Netflix. That was the easy about. one. I mean, they they. The just, car! It's an embarrassment, Gene. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that was an easy one. They were saying how the numbers were. Yeah, and by the way, uh, NASCAR and MotoGP have jumped on the bandwagon and have their, their own, have their own. Yep. series. I mean, hard knocks. I mean, that, that does the same thing for NFL. It's brilliant. All right, gentlemen, we are done. Uh, check us out on our website, speedcitybroadcast.com. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in on Facebook, YouTube. If you're on YouTube, give us some likes, give us some subscribes, all the things you need to do there. And we will talk to you next Sunday night. Ciao, y'all. Happy trails. <laughs>